We find ourselves in Romans chapter 15 tonight. You know, we only have another month of Romans. We've been in it for over a year. So i got to figure out what we're going to do next, right? All right, Romans 15, verses 7 through 13. Follow along as I read. Therefore, accept one another, just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. For I say that the Messiah became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers, and so that Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing psalms to your name. Again it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, all the peoples should praise him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will appear, and one who rises will, uh, to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we come uh, this evening, we thank you again for your love and your care for us. We thank you for the things that you have done so that we might have, that we might be a part of your family. And in so being, we are a part of a family together. And with that in mind, we recognize the need to be careful about how we treat one another in love and how we accept one another. So as we have looked at this uh, passage, we recognize, Father, that uh, there are uh, things where we really need to be careful of one another, not judgmental, but uh, extending the hand of uh, grace and love uh, among the brethren. Pray that uh, you would open our hearts and our minds to areas where maybe we need to do a little bit better job of this. Uh, open our eyes and hearts to the things that you have for us from tonight's message in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you'll notice uh, this is number 53, uh, Strong and Weak Believers in Unity, Part 4, Rejoicing in God's Plan of Redemption. So he starts in verse 7 with some basic instruction. He says, therefore, this is uh, the concept of a conclusion, okay, receive one another. The word for receive there is pros lumbano, uh, to take to oneself, to use food, to lead aside, to admit to friendship or hospitality, to receive or take unto. Uh, interesting, whenever you get on Facebook, when is a relationship between a guy and a girl official? When it's been posted on Facebook. Now, they may have been dating for three or four weeks, but it's when it's on Facebook that everybody knows, okay, that's the idea. I, I now admit to taking this one unto myself, that kind of a thing. So uh, this is an intensified form of lambano, and it is used in a positive sense uh, back there in Romans 14. You might remember verses 1 and 3. It says, Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but no, don't argue about doubtful issues. Verse 3, One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat must not criticize the one who does, because God has accepted him. So when it says, therefore, receive one another, the idea is acceptance, to take unto oneself. And again, who are we taking unto oneself? Someone has a different opinion about things than I might. Okay? 
Um, it, this word is also used to describe acceptance in the fullest and deepest sense. It is to treat each other with love and understanding. It is used of Priscilla and Aquila taking Apollos aside. Back there in uh, Acts 18, verse 26, they see Apollos preaching the gospel, and he's got a lot of things right, and he needs a little bit of help on a few things. So they receive them, uh, him unto themselves, and they help him along on the path so that he could be the preacher that he was. It also uh, is used of the natives showing extraordinary kindness to those that were shipwrecked off the Isle of Malta in Acts 28.2. Now, you might remember in that story, uh, they, they helped them off the beach. They, they had a fire going, and uh, when Paul threw some wood in, a snake bit him, and they thought, sure, that Paul was a murderer or something like that, and that's why the snake bit him. He's going to die. And then, of course, he, he didn't. It's kind of like, whoa, <laughs> you know. Uh, they thought that was pretty awesome, and of course it was. It is also used in the book of Philemon, where Paul tells Philemon to receive Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was his slave. He was a runaway slave, and apparently took something that belonged to Philemon. Now, uh, Onesimus ends up getting saved as he meets Paul when Paul is in jail, and Paul sends him back to Philemon, and says, receive him like you would receive me, not like a runaway slave that stole something from you. So that's the idea here, used in a positive sense. It can be used in a negative sense, in the sense that uh, when uh, Jesus says that he is going to be uh, taken by the leaders and crucified, uh, Peter basically says to him, no, you're not. He takes him aside and he says, no, this isn't going to happen to you. At which point Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever called you that, uh, but uh, it's not a nice thing. So uh, it can be used in a negative sense. Here it is used in the positive sense. Number two, the greatest illustration of someone receiving another just as Christ also received us. Uh, you might remember that uh, Christ uh, was criticized by the Pharisees for eating with sinners. Now, I notice there's a meme going around on social media that says, when Jesus hung out with sinners, they didn't change him, he changed them. And the whole idea there, of course, is, look, if you're going to be hanging out with sinners, you make sure that you're the influence, not the other way around. And of course, the concern is all always uh, out of First uh, Corinthians, where bad company corrupts good morals. Uh, yeah, that definitely can happen. But what are we called to do? We're called to be light and salt. That's, that's right. And so therefore, if you're going to be around people, and you need to be around people in order to shed light. If you just around a bunch of other people that are shedding light, it's kind of like no big deal. But if you're going to be light, you got to be around people that are walking in darkness. But uh, you definitely have to make sure that uh, you are uh, influencing them and not vice versa. So since uh, Christ is eating with sinners, he is our pattern. Notice in Matthew 10, 24, he says that a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. 
Uh, this afternoon, Lynn and I went over to Fellowship Bible Church in Brentwood, and um, 2 o'clock was Sunday school. Uh, I know those of you that don't like Sunday school because it's so early might really like that, but believe me, uh, it was hard to stay awake. <laughs> you know, after you eat pasta, that's just not the thing you want to do is go sit for an hour. But uh, the teacher was teaching on the kingship of Christ. He has three offices, prophet, priest, and king. He'd already covered the first two, and he was dealing with the kingship of Christ. And uh, it, it was good material, 15 pages. We actually got through the whole thing. Uh, but whole point being is he emphasized over and over and over again that Christ being king, he is the one that does the warfare that takes you from the realm of darkness and brings you into the uh, kingdom of light. He is king when you come over. He's king when you're not over there, but he's king when you come over, and therefore you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You're the slave, okay? And so uh, we're not above him uh, because we are, the slave is not above the master. And notice also it is demonstrated through the actions of Ephesians 4.32 through 5.2. Uh, one of I had something like this in one of our uh, questions the other night in Isaiah, where it's the end of one chapter and the beginning of the next chapter, and uh, someone said, "Well, that's chapter four, verse thirty-two through five. No, chapter five. You gotta, you gotta, because there's another colon there. Okay, this is what it says." This is the concept of uh, how Christ received us. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma." So that's the uh, demonstration of that illustration. And then number four, to not accept another with love is an affront to Christ. So here you have a brother and sister in Christ, brother and brother, sister and sister. We've come to different opinions about a particular subject. I eat meat, and you don't. And you're not to judge or criticize. I'm not to judge you, hold you in contempt that kind of thing. We're supposed to receive each other just like Christ received us. But, you know, I just don't like the way that brother thinks. Well, then we go to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him, but 70 times seven. Of course, the idea is not 490 because you shouldn't be counting. It's all of them, okay? For this reason, the kingdom of heaven came or can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle accounts, one owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he had no way to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the slave fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that slave had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That is 
the same as in reference to our salvation. There was a debt that we owed we could not pay. Uh, this idea of 10,000 talents is like a, a million dollars. Now, some of you might have a million dollars hanging around. If you do, I'd like to talk to you afterwards. But uh, most of us don't, right? And if we even thought about paying off a million dollars, I mean, what, what's the cost of most of our homes? 100, 200,000 maybe? And we sit there and take 30 years for something like that in most cases. Um, every now and again, I'll see on Facebook, you know, an advertisement for a plot of land, 40 acres and this really nice house and there's a lake and it's kind of like, oh, wouldn't that be nice? $495,000. Well, what on earth are you? No, I I would need another 120 years to pay that off. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but so this idea, 10,000 talents, it's, it's more than this guy could ever pay off. So like us, we owed a debt we could not pay. And that debt has been forgiven. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Okay? And then it says, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, if I understand it correctly, a denarii is like about a a day's wage. So it's a, a third of a year's salary. Now, that may seem like a lot, but compared to 10,000 talents, it's nothing. Uh, By the way, a talent of gold is about 100 pounds of gold. So uh, think of it that way. You're talking about uh, 10,000 times 100. So uh, throw two more zeros on there. You got a million. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And that's pounds of gold. And how much does gold go for per ounce? You know, that kind of thing. What's that? $2,000 $2,000 per ounce and 16 ounces per pound, uh, a million pounds, a lot of money. He's not going to pay it back. This guy owes him a third of a year's salary, okay? Um, he grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow slave fell down, began begging him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other slaves saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So my heavenly father will also do to each one of you that does not forgive his brothers from his heart. So again, this concept of receiving unto yourself your brother like Christ means going, wow, talk about the extra mile. Otherwise, it's, you're, you're actually being an affront to God. You're offending God by not doing so. So characteristics of Christ's acceptance. Well, first of all, Christ accepts us joyously. Uh, Luke 15, 3-7 says, So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than the 99 just persons who need no repentance. So he accepts them joyously. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And then the contrast to that, uh, Matthew eighteen six. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, I know we look at uh, Matthew 18 about offending little ones and think, oh, that's talking about kids. Uh-huh. And whose kid are you? You're God's kid, right? And so it, it applies. We want to be careful that we're not offending, but receiving joyously. Number two, he ex- accepts them in spite of their sin. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Occasionally, I'll get someone that'll say, can I come to your church? I go, yeah. I go, there might be some people that might not appreciate you coming, but I want you to understand something. That's their problem. You come. Why wouldn't they uh, accept me? Well, you're poor. You don't have nice clothes. Uh, Your hair is kind of ratty. Now, I don't say these things, okay? I'm just saying, there are all kinds of reasons why we might not accept someone, and we forget that he accepted us in spite of. We want to make sure that we're doing the same. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all, all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Okay, now again, contrast, Matthew nine ten to 13. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For if I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So once again, the whole the idea there is, look, if you've come to God, he's accepted you the way you are, so why wouldn't you accept someone else the way they are? Now, again, let's put some practicality into that. Homosexual couple comes in and sits down, and they want to start learning at our church. We accept them in spite of their sin. Now, they want to become members. That's a different story. Why? Because if you're going to be a member, you've got to be saved. And you want to be living the way God wants you to live. And we know that the way they're living, God may have died to pay for their sin, but those who claim to know him cannot continue to live in that sin. Why? Because God changes them, makes them new. Now, it doesn't mean that they aren't going to have their struggles. Anybody have struggles with some of your sinful habits after salvation? (laughs) Larry and me, that's it apparently. (laughs) But... uh, it's got to change. It's not a matter of not accepting them. It's a matter of not accepting their uh, continued sinful lifestyle. 
And then uh, number three, uh, the characteristics of Christ's acceptance, he accepts them impartially. Uh, and, and believe me when I tell you, the, these are only a few of the verses that we could look at. John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no, uh, by no means cast out. Okay? Romans two eleven. For there's no partiality with God. Uh, Acts ten thirty four to thirty five. Peter opened his mouth and said, "In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him." And then James two one to four. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Remember that poor person with the ratty hair and not so nice clothes. Uh, this speaking right to that. It says. For if there should come unto you in a, uh, into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come on a poor man with filthy clothes and pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool, you have, not, uh, have you not shown partiality uh, among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And then verses 8 and 9 of the same passage. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. So he accepts them impartially. He also accepts them to the glory of God. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Ephesians three twenty and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then... Uh, Philippians 2, 9-11, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Uh, so he accepts them to the glory of the Father. And uh, Matthew 18, 5, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. And again, we want to say that's a little child, but who's your daddy? Okay? Uh, you're one of those little children. That brings us down to uh, letter B, biblical illustrations. Now, we've seen the greatest illustration, but Paul goes on, continues using Scripture to show God's plan was always to bring Gentiles and Jews into the kingdom. You know, it is interesting. The more you study the Old Testament, the more you see everything that's laid out in the, in the New Testament. If you only study the Old Testament, it would be easy to miss some of these things. How do I know that? Because the Jews did. They missed it, okay? I, I don't know about you, but if you know when the command went forth to rebuild the temple. And you know there's 490 years. Can you count? Okay? And at 483 years, Messiah is going to get cut off, which means 
Messiah is going to get here before then. And then there's this star that's in the sky, brings people from far away. We know where he's going to be born. Who showed up? Shepherds, the first, time, the first night, two years later, up to two years later, a couple of foreigners. Where were the Jews? Hey, we got this down. We'll let you know when we need you, God. Ooh, okay. So uh, consider that. Uh, notice Paul's emphasis from the beginning of the epistle. Uh, he says right at the beginning, Christ is God. Okay, where does he say that? Well, his job was to bring faith among the Gentiles. Well, let's start with uh, Christ is God. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Christ is God. How do we know? He rose from the dead. Okay? Uh, and, and again, I, I recognize I, I spent a little bit of time on social media, and it's amazing to me how many people want to argue about the deity of Christ. What does this mean? He was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of, de- of the, from the dead, if it doesn't mean that he was proven to be God. Okay? Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So at the beginning of the, uh, of the epistle to the Roman church, he's already talking about his job was to bring faith among the Gentiles. In chapter uh, 1, verses 13 and 14, he goes on and says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. And then in verse 16 of the same chapter, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So in Paul's writing this letter, he has emphasized right from the beginning not only who Christ is, but what his job is, and his job is to reach Gentiles. Now, that was a problem for the Jewish people, but notice, letter B, Paul chastens self-righteous Jews. Back there in Romans 2.24, it says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And then he goes on, as it is written. Oh, so, yeah, it's his job to reach the Gentiles, but the Jews didn't think that was a good thing. They, by the way, they still don't. They think Paul's a heretic above all heretics. Uh, but the reality is, is Paul is now going to go to the Old Testament and say, look, God always meant for Gentiles to be among us. Not, not necessarily uh, equal in the sense of we're his chosen people, but he was going to have some chosen people from the Gentiles also. And that brings us to the next part. He quotes Isaiah 52.5. Uh, God's name is blaspheme. 52.5 says, Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taking, taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Now, in that particular uh, context, chances are his name is being blasphemed by the Gentiles, but Paul uses this concept to say that the Jews were the ones that were actually doing it 
by not allowing the Gentiles in. Uh, Notice, instead of being like their Messiah, who was to be a light to the nations, Isaiah 49.6, Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the world. Now, if that was the Messiah's job, what should Israel's job be? to be a light to the nations. And instead of being a light to the nations, they basically said, look, you're a Gentile. You're a dog. If you want to come in here, fine. We're going to let you do that, but you've got to follow the law like we do. Got to get circumcised. And then you just need to understand, as a Gentile, you will always be a second-class citizen. You're not going to be one of us. When they build the temple, you have your uh, holy place and the most holy place. You have your courtyard, and then you have your wall around that. Outside of that is the court of the Jews. Oh, by the way, ladies, the men. Then there's another wall. And then you have the court of the Gentiles. And then there's another wall. And then you have the court of the women. Okay? So Gentiles were second-class citizens. Women were third-class citizens. And... The complaint that a lot of the feminists have today about Christianity trying to make women second-class citizens, (laughs) hey, girls, we took you from the third class all the way into the Holy of Holies. Not we didn't. God did. Okay? But that's that's how Christianity really works, unlike what the feminists uh, say. So instead of being like their Messiah, being a light to the nations, uh, they basically treated them like second-class citizens. Notice within Romans 9 through 11, the, the focus is on Israel. God hasn't abandoned Israel. He's going to work with them again. But notice he says there is no distinction in chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. It says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then in chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, it says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? In other words, they're coming back into that relationship with God. How much greater will it be when that happens? And then verse 25 of chapter 11 also, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So again, Paul has emphasized throughout the book of Romans, quoting some uh, Old Testament verses, uh, that the Jews shouldn't be of this opinion that they're, they're dogs. They should be accepting them like Christ uh, accepts us also. And then notice, number two, Christ was born as a Jew. Okay, Matthew 5:17 says, "Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill." Now, if you fulfill, that brings that to an end, right? 
That's the idea here. He says in uh, Romans 15 here, Now I say that Christ Jesus was become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God. So even though he's born a Jew, <clears throat> he's come to be a servant to Gentiles. Again, only emphasizing that Jews should be accepting like we should be accepting of one another. And then he goes on to say, letter B, to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Okay, hang on now. Promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, those were made about their descendants, right? Who are their descendants? Israel, right? Well, let's look at a couple of verses. Uh, Matthew uh, fifteen twenty four. But he uh, answered and said, "I was not sent except to the lost sheep uh, of the house of Israel." Uh, okay, that's why Jesus came. John one eleven. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Oh, Acts three twenty five and twenty six. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, "And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed." To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Chapter 13, verse 46 of the book of Acts. And Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, the Jewish people. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Romans 3, three, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Israel as a nation, if you look at their history throughout the Old Testament, Israel as a nation was an unbelieving nation. They had their moments. They had their individuals. But as a nation, they were unbelieving. Does that nullify the promises of God? That's the question that's being asked there. Okay? And then first, uh, 2 Corinthians one twenty, For all the promises of God in Him, in Christ, are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So the whole point being is, Christ came to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And yet, they didn't want what He was offering. So, uh, it continues... First to the Jew, and then of number three, then to the Gentile. He says that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. And here, these are all quotations from the Old Testament. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Now, this is a believer of Israel, or, or uh, Messianic uh, concept here. Uh, this is a quote from Psalm 1849. Uh, therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Obviously, uh, if we go back there, we'll probably find out that David is the writer. He, he's actually saying that he's going to sing, give thanks to you among the Gentiles. Now, ultimately, Christ is the fulfillment there. Uh, then we have uh, John ten sixteen, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them must I also bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Oh, so he became a servant to the circumcision, but 
also the Gentiles are included in that. Uh, number two here, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Deuteronomy 32, 43. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. Now, he just said he was going to take care of enemies, but he told the Gentiles to rejoice. The Jews were thinking the Gentiles were the enemies. Well, if you're going to be destroyed, are you rejoicing? I don't think so. <laughs> so obviously, God's promises included them even back then. Number three, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. Psalm 117, verse 1, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. That one's a direct uh, quotation. And then, of course, number four, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he will rise, uh, shall, he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. That's taken from Isaiah 11.1. 1. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow up out of his roots. And verse 10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Uh, Revelation 5.5, 5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. That verse is given to you to make sure you understand who the root of Jesse is. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then chapter 22, uh, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So you can see, even in the Old Testament where it's talking about uh, what God's plans are, Gentiles were always meant to be included. Therefore, the Jews should have accepted them, just like when we have differing opinions about things that God hadn't said yay or nay, we should be accepting one another just like Christ accepted us. And that brings us to verse 13, which is a benedictory prayer. He says, now may the God of hope, well, let's consider that for just a moment. First Peter 1.8, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Whole point being is God's given us hope. Hope gives us joy. Joy is expressed. Okay? So now may the God of hope Notice letter A, hope is based on what he has done and said. Psalm 16, 9 and 10. Now, don't know if you know it, but Psalm 16, 10 is, there's innuendo that the Messiah is going to rise. Psalm 16, 10 is about the only verse that kind of says, yeah, this has got to happen. Okay, now it doesn't even say he's going to resurrect, but that's the only conclusion you can come to. But notice 9 and 10, it says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. 
in First uh, Corinthians fifteen four, where it says, "And he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures." Well, there it is. He's not going to see corruption. In the Jewish mindset, the body would go into the grave three days later. Spirit has left. The body is decaying. End of subject. And nope, he's not going to see corruption. But notice how it starts there in verse 9. He says, My heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope. Why? Because the anointed one isn't going to see corruption. You're not going to leave my soul in hell, in Sheol, or in the grave, if you will. Okay? How about uh, Psalm 42, verse 5? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted with me, within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. So again, th- this concept of hope based on what he's already done and what he has said he's going to do yet uh, before us. Psalm 71.5, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. Psalm 78.7, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now notice, what's their hope based on? Not forgetting the works of God. Think about it with me for a moment. Most of us here have been saved for a few years. When we were young in the Lord, we probably still had our struggles with habitual sins that came with us, the baggage that came with us from uh, when we got saved. Uh, We might have been able to let go of that baggage right off the bat, but uh, uh, most of us didn't. Uh, We we didn't understand some things. Over the years, you have seen God deliver you from the things that hassled you so much. They were temptations that you couldn't resist initially, then you wanted to resist and still didn't necessarily find uh, the grace necessary. And little by little, God strengthened you and, and gave you the grace that was necessary. In the midst of all that, he was trying to show you, hey, look, this is what's in your heart. Uh, this is why you need me. You can't do this without me. And somewhere in the rush, you got it. And boom, it's gone. It, it's the suitcase I don't have to bring with me anymore. Now, with that in mind, as I look forward, there's still a few things that, just, just a few things that God might be working on in me. What's going to happen? It's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen in this life, you know, I've got enough experience with trials now that, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? When I do see something, instead of, okay, I'll be working on that, it's kind of like, okay, Lord, change my heart. I've been singing that song with the kids in chapel. Change my heart, oh God. Why? Because I've tried. It doesn't work. So you, you're going to have changed me. I, I am uh, confessing this. I, I'm agreeing with you. This thing, it's sinful. Take it away. Now, do I expect it's going to be gone the next second? No. But I do know that God's working on that thing, and he's going to be teaching me how to lift that weight so that I can overcome it. It'll happen. It'll take time. And guess what? I may not live long enough to take care of all the problems, but I do know this. Because of what God has done, first positionally, then second practically, 
ultimately I am going to see him as he is and I'm going to be like him, which means it's all going to be straightened out. See, it's based on his word. It's based on what he's done. I look at what he says is going to happen. No problem. That's hope. That's believing in what God has said will happen in the future. Uh, A few more verses for you. Psalm 119, 49, remember the word of your, uh, to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I don't think God has any problem remembering, okay? But you gotta, you gotta think with me, God uses words that we understand, and Noah and his family, they're on that ark, and it says, and then God remembered Noah, Now, we think of, you mean he forgot him? Of course not. But he was taking care of business, and now it's time to move on with the plan, okay? And so uh, the the psalmist is calling out, remember the word to your servant. Remember what you said to me, okay, upon which you have caused me to hope. I don't know about you, but I, I really am looking forward more and more to someday being with the Lord, okay? Why? Because he's kind of given me that understanding that this is where it all gets fixed. I, I, I look at what the, uh, the United States is doing these days. Uh, with uh, we're, we're, uh, Just the other day, I think I saw in the news where uh, they have pretty well determined why Christians are going to be labeled domestic terrorists. Well, what do you do with domestic terrorists? Ask the people that went uh, on January 6th. Okay, in jail, uh, isolation, uh, we're not taking care of them, we're not giving them due process for, what, two years? I don't know that they've taken care of everybody yet. Uh, That's what they would like to do to Christians. Now, the Christians that they pointed out was a Catholic church, but hey, look, when it gets down to it, now, I I look at that kind of stuff and it's kind of like, yeah, I'm not sure I want to go through that. Get over yourself because how many brothers and sisters have gone through that kind of stuff over the years? What's my hope? Not to be comfortable in the midst of that. It is looking beyond that. Why? Because God gave me that hope. Okay? Uh, Psalm 119, verse 116. Uphold me according to your word that I may live, and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Uh, Again, that whole concept of I'm going to live for Jesus. If that means that ultimately we end up in jail or, or uh, what is that, uh, where they keep you isolated? Solitary confinement, um, going to have to hang on and don't let my uh, hope be, uh, be ashamed. Uh, Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word do I hope, or I do hope. So uh, it is based on uh, what he has said and what he has done. May the God of hope fill you with, uh, Romans 14 and verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we, again, are looking for God to take care of this, uh, not us to take care of it. Fill you with all joy. Uh, I remember years ago, um, people were comparing joy to happiness. And I understand what they were trying to get across. Uh, Tonight, a lot of people are going to be very happy because their team is going to win the Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, That's nice. Yeah, it's going on right now. Uh, They've already had kickoff. Man, they've been at it for an hour and a half. We might be at halftime. 
where someone's going to sing something nice. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and so someone's going to be happy. Guess what? Someone's going to be sad. And their happiness and their sadness is all going to be based on a game. Okay? It might be based on the fact that they bet on that game and lost. <laughs> but uh, when, when we think of joy, notice what the notes say here. Joy is a consequence of being filled with the Spirit. Uh, let me read a couple of verses. Uh, Psalm 146, verse 5. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Uh, Psalm uh, Proverbs 10, 28. The hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Romans 5, 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And if you're not sure that that makes the point, how about Ephesians 5, 18 and 19? Don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess but be, or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and the way it's written, it's, but keep on be being filled. It's kind of weird when you put it in English. But the idea is make sure that you're in the right mental and spiritual attitude where the Spirit of God can empower you to do what God's called you to do. And the next verse says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I don't know about you, but that's kind of a description of joy. Okay? Now, it goes on and talks about other things, but it starts with personal joy. Then it deals with your relationship with God. You're submitting yourselves uh, one to another, and you're giving thanks uh, for everything. And then it gives you examples of that submission, wife to husband, husband to wife, children to parents, parents to children, uh, slave to master, master to slave, etc. But joy is a consequence of being filled with the Spirit. Uh, How about, and peace, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Peace, a consequence of trusting. Uh, Psalm 4, verse 8. I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell safely. Oh, do I want to do this? I was in the gym here recently, and kid had a T-shirt on. It said, Faith Over Fear. I said, you know, that's one of those T-shirts we should be passing out in every church to every person as a reminder to us. We believe what God says. If you, if you listen to the news, there's always something to distract you, to cause you to be anxious. To, I, I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh, and occasionally I'd have to take a break because listening to him talk about the idiocracy of the things that were going on in politics, after a while it's kind of like, oh, Lord, what's going to happen? I'd start getting a little anxious, kind of like, whoop, I have to stop listening to Rush. Now, I like Rush. I agree with a lot of what he said, but I had to have to stop because it was causing a little bit of anxiety. Well, in these last three years, there's been a, an attempt, a, a, an intentional attempt to cause fear. Hmm. What does God's Word say? God's got an appointed number of days for you. I'm trying. Hang on. (laughs) Hannah just had a miscarriage. That's an appointed number of days. 
I look at our brother Frank. Stephanie posted yesterday that the things that he's exhibiting seem to indicate that he might not have much time left. That's an appointed number of days. He's not leaving a day earlier than he should. And he's not staying here a day longer than he should. Okay? So why do I have to fear? Yeah, none of us wants to go through what's going to bring us to death. But death for us is, I love the way pastor says it, graduation. (laughs) Okay? That's what it is. We close our eyes here. We open them up there. Problem? (laughs) You know what I mean? And again, faith over fear. It's not that you shouldn't do things to uh, be wise and protect yourself and that kind of stuff, because our understanding is we're going to have another pandemic in 2025 after the next presidential election. We've got to do it just right, especially if a Republican gets uh, elected. Um, that kind of stuff. Yes, I am being a little sarcastic here, but um, we're, we're supposed to have one. And they warned us right after Trump won, well, this president's going to have to face a pandemic. It's kind of like, hmm. People even said pandemic, But in, in the midst of all that, faith over fear. Uh, again, notice what it says here. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Peace. Hmm. I'm going to trust the Lord. Uh, someone recently asked for our board meeting, you know, um, oh, it was Frank. He said, Jeannie's got COVID. Should I come? I said, Frank, doesn't matter to me. But I know that that's not what's important. You need to talk to John and see if we have a quorum. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, he may say, no, please don't, because he's had COVID. I may have had COVID. I may not have had COVID. I have absolutely no idea. Uh, But it doesn't matter to me. Um, If I get it, okay. Uh, Why? Because peace, okay? Uh, Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have... Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the kind of peace you uh, enjoy because you're saved. But is that the only kind of peace God wants you to experience? Of course not. He wants you to be able to have peace afterwards also. That brings us to Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Let your moderation be known unto all men. Whatever the situation is, don't be anxious. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. He's in the middle of this thing. He's in control, okay? And then uh, let your supplications be known unto God with thanksgiving, and the peace of God will guard your heart. Because I'm going to talk to God about the problem. I'm not going to worry about it. God's in control. So... Uh, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Notice in believing. I like the way the uh, Holman Christian Standard uh, has it here in verse 13. Got to turn the page. There we go. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, if you will, as you walk by faith. Okay? Uh, So uh, in believing. Uh, The word uh, in believing here, Hebrews uh, 11.1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I don't know about you, but that definition of faith has always gone, huh, for me. You know what it says? Faith is believing what God said. 
that, that's what it says. It, it's, it's the substance of things hoped for. What's hope? Believing in what God says is going to happen. The evidence, the assurance, the confidence of things not seen. I have not seen yet the glorified body. I know someday I'm going to get one. I have not seen yet the rapture, pre-tribulational. <laughs> but it's going to happen. <laughs> okay, that's the idea here. Verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Uh, this morning I realized that, you know, this goes along with that Matthew 11, 28, 29 verse. Uh, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. You've got to believe that I am. And I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. Um, that, that's the believing that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You're going to saddle up alongside of him. Use another uh, farming tool, uh, tool there. Yoke, saddle, <laughs> get it? But uh, you're going to be with him. And why? Because he's the one that's going to reward what's going on. I want to make sure it gets done right. Okay, so in believing, then 1 Peter 1.8 again, whom having not seen you love. How many of you have seen Jesus? Uh, my understanding is he's appearing to Muslims over there in the middle of no place because no one's preaching the gospel over there. By the way, they're not getting saved that way by seeing Jesus. They're having to go and find a missionary, hear the gospel. Why? Because God gave us the job of sharing the gospel. But most of us haven't seen him. We got these ideas that he's some European-looking guy. Maybe he has long hair. I don't know. Uh, I don't believe so. But uh, we've not seen him. But notice it goes on to say, you love him, even though you haven't seen him. And though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. We're all looking forward to the time when we will see him. And we love him, even though we haven't seen him. So that's uh, the concept of in believing. He says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. And again, the idea is one builds on the other. Uh, he's the God of hope. You're going to believe what he says, and you're going to have joy because of it. You're going to have peace because of it. And the more you experience that, the more you're going to say, I really am getting this now. And you're going to abound in hope. And notice, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that is revealing to you the truth of the Word of God and pointing you in the right direction uh, in all of this. So that's the benedictory prayer uh, of Paul in chapter 15. In the meantime, what can we learn about all this? We need to receive one another like Christ received us. Uh, when you think of it that way, we get so hung up on petty little things that make no difference. Uh, the Jews did when it came to the Gentiles, and God's plan was always to receive the Gentiles. Not every single one of them, obviously, but it was always part of his plan. So therefore, someone that doesn't agree with you on something that God didn't give us a yay or an A on, it's a little thing. Drums, organ, eating meat, being a vegetarian. I imagine we could pick a few more subjects, whether women should wear slacks or dresses. Okay? Uh, and why do I say that? Because I've been in churches where women had to wear dresses. And it's kind of like, you know, the Bible doesn't say that. They have to be dressed like women. Where do you buy your slacks, ladies? Uh, 
in the ladies' department, most of you. I know my mom used to buy hers in the men's department, but that's another thing altogether. <laughs> uh, so uh, ju- just look. People might disagree on things. It's okay. Know those people well enough. Love them enough so that you're not causing them to stumble. Let's not be judgmental about every little thing that goes on because as I pointed out a couple weeks ago, this is the area we were, where we have more conflicts in the church than probably any other. Okay? Well, let's close in prayer and we'll let you go. See you again, Lord willing, on Wednesday. Father, we do thank you. You've been so gracious to us. You have not only taken us from the realm of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of your dear son. You have made us one of your family. Uh, You have uh, provided your Holy Spirit to live within us. You've opened our eyes to the truth. You've given us joy and peace. And Lord, as we walk with you, that just seems to grow and abound, and, and we thank you for that. We do ask, Lord, that you would give us grace as a body of believers to understand truly If you have accepted someone, we have absolutely no reason not to accept them. We may be an encouragement for spiritual growth. We might be uh, the iron that sharpens iron, but uh, our job is to be loving, understanding, and uh, helping one another, encouraging one another as we walk uh, with you. Uh, Give us grace to do just that for your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.